Hey guys, and welcome to Gameplay Radio here on Radio Free Brooklyn. As always, I'm your host, Aaron, uh, here in the studio this week with a couple of guys from Rytopia Lab. Say hi, everybody. Howdy, folks. Hey. Hey. Beautiful. Glad to have you guys here. Um, Why don't you guys tell us a little bit about Rytopia and what they do? Sure. So uh, Rytopia Lab is a 501c3 nonprofit, and we do creative writing workshops for kids and teens. We've been doing this for about 14 years, and by now we're in 27 locations around the country. And our instructors are published fiction writers and well-produced playwrights, and we have a whole training methodology where we bring people up to speed uh, in the Rytopia way. And that Rytopia way is, is to give kids and teens a place to write that is free from as much restriction as possible so that even in the best of schools with the best of administrations and the best of teachers, there are mm-hmm. things that are schools that schools are trying to do that Rytopia Lab doesn't have to do. So if a kid wants to write about a subject that's really troubling, Rytopia Lab is a great place to do that. And if a kid is uh, really feeling like, wow, I'm onto something here. I want to discover my, I want to keep going with this and discover my voice. This is a a great place to do that. But um, we also work with a lot of reluctant writers, kids who get sort of pulled there by Mm. the ear and who swear that they won't enjoy anything in a place like this. (laughs) And, uh, you know, almost universally, those kids walk out of that first session thinking, saying, to their parents, oh my gosh, that was so much fun. I can't believe this. I didn't think that writing would be fun like that. Uh, so it's kind of like a safe space for writers. Yeah, very, very much a safe space uh, where we want where we want people to discover what they're about and mm-hmm. to you know one of, one of the things that we realized really early on is that whether you're going to be a lawyer or a doctor or a carpenter or a cab driver or whatever it is that you're going to be doing. If you can tell a good story, if you can communicate your ideas to people, you've got a better shot at doing that and get, and being successful at the thing that you want to do. Mm-hmm. And so our strategy is that people get better at writing by doing a lot of writing. And how do, they, how do you get them to do a lot of writing? You, have, you let them have fun with it. And so we curate spaces where they can have fun writing and be really productive and where we look at finished pieces let's not just write but let's finish a piece and then let's go back and work that piece interesting so it's so when people get together at Rytopia roll the dice for no reason there um so when people go to Rytopia they sit down they have prompts or they literally just are allowed to sit and hang out and yeah so write and talk and it's like a writing it's it's very much a, a writing workshop so there you know we have tons of teaching strategies and we have tons and we and we definitely pay attention to milestones but it's not a situation where we have a session by session curriculum today we will read this and we will write that today we will give this assignment and the writers will produce this Mm -hmm. it's instead a place where we come in and we talk about story and we ask them what they want to write about and if they're having trouble coming up with things to write about then we have a thousand and one games that we have adapted from the outside world and created from whole cloth and the instructors use that library of games to, to get people's ideas going. Um, and, um, our interns are a big part of that too. Um, and Jared and Andre are both in that role. Jared and Andre, sorry, Jared and Andre. Yes. Yep. Thanks. (laughs) Um, uh, Jared and Andre, the interns, what has been your experience at Rytopia? Well, um, one of the experiences that I've had, uh, Jeremy just spoke about it just a little bit. A little bit we don't necess- to the mic there. Yeah, my bad. Yeah, thank you. Um, we don't we don't necessarily have a a set like oh you have to do this you have to do that. It's it's very much um we go with their desires what they feel like they want to write. We go from there and we use these games and certain certain strategies that we have as a conduit as kind of like a, a way of of working with them if they have trouble in general. So it's not necessarily a, a set plan. It's more of an adaptive plan. Mm. So you guys tend to, you help with like the teaching of these kids. Uh, yes. Um, I currently and Andre too are both uh, uh, usually assistants in a workshop. And we usually have one or two people in there at the same time in order to 
uh, split the work off and make sure that every child gets their individual care. Awesome. So why do you guys keep coming? Is that partially why y'all keep coming back to intern? From my understanding of what we talked about before, you guys have been doing this for a while now. I think it's the environment. It's really welcoming. It's awesome to see kids always come back and they're always excited to see the same instructor or the same intern. Mm. And a lot of the times they come up with really creative stories and it's awesome to see them do that. And you really want to like, uh, have them create this like story that becomes into a book. And I believe several of our writers have done that where they've gone beyond and published. And it's awesome to see them do that. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I always remember uh, Christopher Paolini when he wrote his first book, he was 16. Um, and when I was always younger, I was like, if he can do it, so can I. And so I imagine also seeing, um, like people who have done Rytopia also go forth and get their stuff published is also pretty exciting in that way too for yeah. you guys and for the other kids. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And we, we pay a lot of attention to that kind of thing. We, that, so one of the things that we did is we have wallpaper up in a bunch of spots yeah. around the labs and the wallpaper is a bookshelf with no, no writing on the spines of the books. So mm. when you finish a piece, if you finish that piece, you can put your name and the name of your piece up on the wall and be part of Rytopia's library. Oh, how fun. Um, yeah. It's okay. a, and we have, you know, we the, two weeks ago, a college kid came in to look for the piece that he had written up on the wall when mm -hmm. he was in eighth grade. <laughs> um, and it's this really nice thing. Um, and we also do, we have a theater festival that where we put on 40 plays in a one week off Broadway run. Oh my goodness. Um, yes. Oh my goodness. Is <laughs> it's definitely a big effort, but it's it's an amazing thing. We've got a hundred theater profess professionals working to produce the plays written by these kids who are ten to eighteen. Yeah. Um and it's you know, some of the experiences that those kids go through seeing professionals take their work so seriously. It's, it's mind blowing. Oh, I'm sure it is. Um, especially with the talent, the performing talent in New York City, like that's gotta be really cool. Yeah. So uh, it's, it's a lot of so fun. so. Where did this come from, Jeremy? Why don't you like so? so how did how did this even this place this space come about? Yeah. So my wife Rebecca Wallace Segal was teaching on the Upper West Side, and she had been brought in to deal with this one very very smart girl to sort of do something to to keep her engaged. And she she built a creative writing program for this school, and at some point something came across her desk about the scholastic writing competition, which is mm. the oldest, most prestigious writing competition for teens in the country. And so she had a, a bunch of her kids write pieces and submit and more kids from her school won scholastic awards than from any other school in New York city that year. And scholastic reached out to them or reached out to her and Rytopia Lab literature out in uh, at their national event or at their local event. And it was somewhere in between those two things, to those two moments. Yeah. She decided to take Rytopia Lab out on its own. She talked to a few of the parents of her kids at this school and they mm. they said, yeah, if you start this on your own, we will we will support you. And so they started writing checks and she built this very low risk business model. So we are a 501c3 nonprofit, but 85% of our revenue comes from the sliding scale fees that our families pay for workshops and that schools pay us for workshops mm. and homeless shelters pay us for workshops. Right. Um, so there is pay required, but that's only to keep it alive, not to really pay the employees. Right. I mean, well, I mean, people, people, people get paid, right? Like we are, we're, there are a hundred people, 95 people on payroll at Rytopia Lab oh, across okay. the country. So we do pay our writing instructors. Mm. We do pay our interns. Um, but it's, you know, all of that money is being put back into the programming um, sure. and we do more fundraising and it's like no questions asked sliding scale fee yeah. structure. And if you can't afford the lowest rate, then send us a letter and we'll get you in. Um, awesome. And yeah. And then people around the country just sort of asked Rebecca, Hey, can you send someone to DC? Hey, can you send someone to Westchester? And, um, as we've found enough demand, we've, uh, been happy to expand. And now we're in Chicago, Los Angeles, San Francisco, DC, and a few suburbs North of the city. Wow. 
from a small little place in Brooklyn all yeah. over the country. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Next exactly. place the world. Next Time place the world. Over. Yeah, that's right. That's yeah. right. That's um, awesome. Rebecca was actually on her way to China to run uh, some workshops there when uh, coronavirus came and they canceled the travel plans. Oh, so, well. <laughs> next stop, the world. So it goes. <laughs> yep. <laughs> uh, we'll, we'll get there eventually, you know, if people survive, um, <laughs> which they probably will, yes. but you know. Yeah, all fingers crossed. And uh, we haven't heard from our final quiet member in the room here. Um, you have been, uh, you've been part of Rytopia since it began too, in a way. Well, I've been there for, I guess, seven years. My, I'm not a Rytopia employee. I'm actually a parent of a Rytopia student. Uh, when mm-hmm. my daughter happened to be best friends with Jeremy and Rebecca's daughter in kindergarten, and right before spring break, Rebecca came up to me and asked, hey, I run a writing workshop. Would Julia be interested in joining? And I said, you realize she's in kindergarten and she neither reads nor writes. <laughs> and uh, Rebecca said, no, no, that's good. We teach them how to tell stories. And so my daughter uh, started going there. And now, you know, she comes home after school. And rather than turn on the television many days, she sits down and writes a story. She loves writing. And Rytopia is what did that for her. So I'm by training a lawyer and I have my own practice. And so eventually uh, I became Rytopia's outside lawyer. And I've gotten more and more involved over the time. Indeed. And has been very helpful in many matters. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Wonderful. Including, I hear, um, playing Dungeons & Dragons leading for some of these uh, kids too, right? Yeah. uh, A couple weekends ago, Jeremy asked me to go on the... Uh, Rytopia winter retreat and we had 12 kids who wanted to do Dungeons and Dragons workshops and so he and I figured out how to split them up using sort of alternate worlds (laughs) and bringing them together and bringing them apart and we had a great time with uh, 12 12 out of 29 winter retreaters. That's a pretty good percentage you know almost half. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe half. I don't know how math works. Um, even though I play this game almost every week. <laughs> uh, but yeah, no, I think it's a, a true testament to the fact that um, storytelling comes in so many different formats. Like it can be writing, it can be speaking, it can be playing, but it's still a story. Absolutely. Um, which is why I kind of wanted you guys to play a game where you were all bards this week. I hope you don't mind. I know people complain a lot about <laughs> bards being, quote unquote, the worst class, uh, but I don't see it. I always find that bards are like the most fun and versatile. So the best class, the best class. <laughs> my yeah. uh, my 10 year old exclusively plays bards because she's so in love with vicious mockery. <laughs> <laughs> it sounds a lot like my older brother. <laughs> yeah. Exclusively bard. Nothing else. Wow. If it's not a bard. Doesn't want to touch it. So when did that start happening out of curiosity? Has it always been that way? Or? With my older brother? Yeah, with your older brother. Uh, it started happening when he uh, joined uh, musical theater. Musical? Oh, sure. Oh, nothing but bards. <laughs> nothing but bards. <laughs> yeah, when, once, you go, once you go on stage for singing, if you get the bug, I guess it goes everywhere. <laughs> he's, a, he's, a, well, he's one for performance, you know? Fair. Nice. Fair. Nice. So are you um, honoring your brother with the type of bard you made today or... Um, I'd say the type of bard that I made is more of a, uh, a representation of myself, you know? That's fair. Yeah. 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 Uh, uh, I decided to, uh, pick something that was more representative of myself within a bard class. Yeah. Uh, cause there are a lot of different bard classes and a lot of different ways to create them anyway. So you really do whatever you want with that. Yeah. I think we've got four very different very bards today. Bards. Yeah. It's going to be great. Yeah. Uh, but before we begin and before I go through my uh, usual spiel about the radio station, um, anything else that we should know about Rytopia, places they can look you up, find you, uh, so, not stalk you, hopefully. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely rytopialab.org is uh, the easiest place to find us and you can find information about all of our programs and all of our locations there. Oh, speaking of locations, I do okay, want to mention yeah. that we just uh, moved our Park Slope location uh, just a few blocks, um, but Jared and Andre were a big part of that. We got that move Yay. done <laughs> 14 days after the lease was signed um, and cranked through a whole lot of things. And 
we're really in love with our new Park Slope location. Uh, but rightopialab.org is the easiest spot to find uh, us. So W-R-I-T-O-P-I-A. L-A-B. L-A-B. <laughs> yep. Rightopia Lab. Check them out, guys, uh, for your writing needs. Also, uh, I talk about this every week, and I'm going to talk about it again. Uh, make sure to check out our Drive to Five fundraising campaign uh, because we're turning five years old in May. And in order to continue bringing you commercial-free independent radio for another five years, we need to raise $25,000. Um, we do include special challenges, like for this month, it's a quiz to see just how well you know Bushwick, uh, which is where we're located. Um, top five scores will win a limited edition five-year anniversary t-shirt. Um, you can enter uh, Gameplay Radio as your favorite show, haha. Uh, when taking the quiz, and I'll get a prize as well if you do well enough, which I uh, actually sorely need your help to win a T-shirt for myself. Um, or, you know, you can just donate money as well and or buy your own T-shirt if you don't want to do the quiz. Um, but you can check it all out at RadioFreeBrooklyn.org slash Drive to Five um, in order to do that. And we are also a 501c3 nonprofit. So um, all of your donations are tax deductible to the fullest extent of the law. Uh, and if you want to hear us read this promo and also just listen to us generally while you're on the go, make sure to download our Radio Free Brooklyn mobile app. It's available on iPhone and Android um, on the Apple Store or Google Play. Um, and that way you can listen to us wherever you go, so long as there is service. Um, so I hope that you guys check that out. Um, and thanks again for tuning in to Gameplay Radio. So, are you guys ready to begin? Absolutely. Yeah. Let's Great. do it. Let us let's roll do some it. dice. Let's roll some dice. Let's get some story up in here and let's play some music. There it goes. Okay. So, uh, why don't you guys tell us a little bit about your characters? Let's get an introduction going on here before we tell the story. All right. Um, so, uh, Billy Baradle, two E's, three R's, two T's, thank you, uh, <laughs> grew up the son of an innkeeper and of a, man of a manager of the central market. Uh, his parents did sort of nothing but argue about the righteousness of the guilds to which they belonged. And Billy spun himself tales of accord and agreement, insulating himself from the partisan bickering that was the soundtrack of his childhood. His powers of appeasement were apparent from an early age, and by the time he was nine, he also often found himself thanked for his interjections at guild meetings. And uh, by the time of his teen miscreant days, which I'm sure we've all had, he ran games of permission to participate and check means chase to raise enough money to launch his first adventuring party. And when they came back with stories to tell of their conquests, his parents' guilds both held competing galas to honor him, and Within the year, he had invented a title for himself and would go back and forth between adventuring and scamming the guild members, leaving his uh, leveraging his social ca capital from one to from one scheme to the next. All right. And uh, now he wants to go and do something real to prove himself to himself. Wow! Thank you, Billy. Next up. Next up, we've got uh, Professor Anthony Zenhorn. Uh, Professor Zanhorn is a half-elf. He was born to a human mother and an elvish father that he never knew. Uh, as Zanhorn grew up, he, uh, his stepfather, who was a carpenter, decided that he was simply too weak to join in the carpentry trade. But uh, Zanhorn did love to read, and he was a voracious reader. So he read every book he could find in their small town. One day, a traveling bard came through and began talking to Zanhorn and, and was impressed with Zanhorn's knowledge. So he encouraged Zanhorn to apply to one of the bardic colleges, who, and Zanhorn eventually decided he would, but Zanhorn's not really a musician. So instead, he decided to do a lecture for the uh, admissions committee. Uh, trying to convince the admissions committee that they should give him a scholarship to come. And he was so persuasive with so much vast knowledge that they gave him that uh, scholarship. And he basically stayed with the college ever since becoming a professor. Hmm. He's not really much of an adventuring type. In fact, 
he doesn't know how to use a weapon. He carries a <laughs> crossbow just for show on his adventures. Okay. Mostly he's out to get stories. Instead, he uh, uses his mind as his weapon. And if he can't convince someone, he knows a bunch of psionic spells that he uses to convince them in other ways. <laughs> All right. That is uh, Professor Zanhorn. Mm-hmm. Uh, we also have... Oh, I'm playing as Brutus McGill, and he is a Loxodon. Now, as all as all of you know, Loxodons are gigantic elephants, and they're not much of bards, but Brutus had a very tough life. Uh, from an early age, he's always been a warrior, and he grew up in a very warrior-centered uh, village, and because of that... He's never known about music until the days that the war came and Brutus was, sorry about that. Uh, He was uh, taken in as a soldier and one day he heard a traveling bard walk by who joined uh, his his troop of, uh, of soldiers and he played these wonderful songs and Brutus tried his hand at all of the instruments, and he never had a knack for them, except for one, the drum. And once his uh, adventure ended, and uh, he doesn't really like to talk about his past, it pains him, uh, he decided to take up the drum in a bigger way, and he became a bard. Hmm. Very cool. Thank you, Brutus. And last but not least, we have Yardel Van Dem. Yardel Van Dem is a proud member of the Van Dem family. He uh he travels the land, um, documenting the events through history, through not only song but also uh, uh, paintings and morals. Um, he is always keeps a stitch, kind of kind of his his family seal stitched onto most of the things on his on his uh, uh on his uh what he's carrying, and oftentimes uh, he will very very casually slip his uh family name into conversation (laughs) (laughs) he is a scholar and he travels the land uh documenting history and therefore he is also a seeker of truth that is what he sees himself as and although he is you know it, it may be good for some to lie he does not see the the appeal of that for the truth always reveals itself eventually. Um, unfortunately, others do not uh, uh, share his sentiment. Uh, <clears throat> they seem to see his truthfulness and his straightforwardness as uh, cockiness and um, uh, just a straight irritation. Um, <laughs> his wealth uh, provided to him by his family name and his, his family ties is, uh, has made him pompous. And so, uh, apologies for whatever construction is happening somewhere. <laughs> if you hear that on the radio, but please continue. And therefore, he is not only pompous because of his wealth, but also his his knowledge, his vast knowledge, has made him uh, a little bit arrogant in his ways. And even though he starts many fights, his his tall stature as a as a human male. Um, six foot just about very husky mm. doesn't quite allow doesn't quite depict exactly what he is because he's not a fighter he is very much a teddy bear <laughs> <laughs> adorable well thank you Yardo. we now have our party of bards and uh today you all have um either together or individually uh heard tale of this legendary collection of these instruments of the bards. Uh, these are considered to be um, magical masterwork instruments that uh, were that are extremely effective in the hands of bards, that they are created for true um, artists and performers, and they are supposed to be these powerful legendary items. Uh, they were created by a legendary bard, uh, in the Moon Shea Isles by the name of Felater. Uh Felater created this college for the bards of many different schools 
uh, in the hopes to have kind of a utopia of a place for people to uh, learn the art of storytelling and the art of uh, performance in a space where um, it really was like educational. Think, think um, a less snooty Juilliard. And um, <laughs> Falastair was known to be a legendary teacher who created these instruments for his top students as a way to encourage them to really get into this. Um, before he died, he created one last set, um, but no one is quite sure where they are, or so they thought. Um, the college in the Moonshay Isles was considered destroyed when he fell, unfortunately, as bards do sometimes, and um, it was dis it disappeared into history, but then you found... Um, together, this knowledge of uh, the fact that the college might still stand. So you actually find yourself on one of the islands in the Moonshay Isles. It's a beautiful, breezy day. And there is this... Um, you find yourself in front of this... Uh, what looks to be like this ramshackle kind of turned down ruins, which uh blends seamlessly into this kind of like mountainous like rocky island isle that you're on that no one else seems to live on um but there is what seems to be standing a still door frame um and in every language that you know it says over the door frame to tell is to survive hmm, what do yes. you do to tell is to survive yes i see it in draconic over here and elvish on the other side Oh, oh, there's the uh, Loxonian. Do you recognize that, my friend? Uh, I believe so. Ah, yes, yes. Hmm, a puzzle, I think. A puzzle, no doubt. So many languages. To tell is... To tell is to... What does this say? Enter? Survive. Survive. To tell is to survive. survive. To tell is to survive. Hmm... Uh, Certainly sounds like a legend to a story of some sort, I think. To talk is to live. Hmm, that's for sure. <laughs> I'd like to, uh, I'd like, to, I start writing this down in my notebook, kind of, like, okay, like you quickly. You do um, that? Alright. Can we just knock on the door? Uh, it is an empty frame. No door. There's no door. Ah. Well... I think we go in this way. Will we all fit? <laughs> it's, a it's a sizable frame. It's a sizable frame. frame. You all you can know. wait and speculate. I'll move. Ooh. <laughs> I just head in. Yardo goes in. Uh, as he steps through, um, you see kind of a shimmer, like kind of a shimmer around the area where the door is. And uh, Yardo is gone. Oh. oh. Well, we are using magic here, clearly. I... Uh, take a rock and I toss it in. Goes through. You don't see it afterwards. It doesn't land anywhere. And I don't hear an owl or anything. We are don't make a dex check for me. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's a four. Uh, four plus one. Um. <laughs> Yeah, you get hit with a rock. Uh oh. <laughs> um, oh. <laughs> but uh you don't you don't hear like he doesn't hear you get hit by the rock. <laughs> so you you turn around and uh you see um like as you turn around to like see like where the fuck this rock came from, uh you see the the door frame, it has a door on it now. It's like a wooden, what? like stately door and it looks like shiny and fresh. And uh, as you turn around, uh, you see some more exciting things as well. I uh, am going to sing sing the song of my people. So I uh, pull out my soprano trombone <laughs> and um, <laughs> I have a little singing and trombone routine worked out. Um, so I'm, I'm going to tell the story of my of my people and of the guilds of Neverwinter as I walk across the threshold of this room doing the safest thing I can think of, which is playing my ten my my soprano trombone. You beautifully perform this piece, um, which you know by heart, so I won't make you roll for it. Um, <laughs> and you uh, stride on through 
and you step up and you see uh, your doe looking around as well. You are gone. Uh, Brutus and Professor Xanthorn, Xanthorn, my bad, um, you don't see them anymore. Brutus, after you, I insist. Oh, why, thank you. And I walk through the door, motioning him after me. Cool. I, I walk up to the door, stick my hand in and make sure I can pull it out. You do. You pull it up. And then I walk through. Okay. You bo- you all now are st- standing in this, what surprisingly looks like a stately entryway into this w- mansion of a place. It has like expansive like areas. You see that this is like a wooden hallway, but past it is like this open courtyard with sunshine signing down into it. You see like grand, uh, also wooden staircases, like ascending up into other floors. And all around you are these... Um, what looks to be uh, like young, actually really of any age, uh, humanoids of any kind, humans, um, half-elves, elves, dwarves, um, goliaths, maybe one or two, uh, running around like they seem to be doing, there's a lot of activity in this room right now. None of them are looking at you, but they're all looking around. I want you all to make perception checks for me. 21. Hmm. 18. Yeah, 21. I've got an 8. I got an 8 too. <laughs> all right. Okay. Um, so you all see that these people seem to be in a hurry. Those were the 21. You'll notice that, um, well, all of you will notice that the, some of them seem to be carrying instruments or seem to be like having some sort of like a satchel over their side or something. And then um, those with 21s, you'll notice that it looks like some people are like, writing things down and they have like this like note paper like that they're writing notes or any like musical notes or something and they all look a little bit a little bit harried or stressed out right now some of them are like gathering and talking to each other and comparing notes or something but they're all in a rush I'd like to grab my drum and sort of like move around the crowd and blend in because everyone else has their instrument around and I want to see if I hear what they're talking about why they're all so stressed out Okay, um, make a uh, performance check. See if you blend in. Yeah. And that's a 23. Okay, you uh, blend in just fine. Um, a couple of them, you come up behind uh, two people who uh, have these... Um, like one has a lute in their hand and the other one has, you know, like uh, like a flute in their other. And uh, they're both kind of talking about like, did you get like, did you get the composition right? And the other person goes, no, no, I don't think so. Oh, I'm never going to pass this. I just need to get like, this is the last exam. I don't know how I'm going to be able to impress him any further. And the other friend goes, it's OK, it's OK. Uh, you know that he always really appreciates um, when you connect to your instrument and you can really like you'll be able to do that I support you and they're like thanks bro when they're kind of like yeah so they're kind of like supporting each other harriedly like Huge they romance. both look like very um, tired but like kind of happy at the same time bards <laughs> <laughs> so I walk over to one of them and uh, look over their shoulder and at what they're writing on the paper is it notes is it Instru- uh, musical notes or writing? Um, so you kind of, I guess, peek around to some of them. Uh, you're looking. It looks like it's a num- like a number of different things. Some people are writing poetry. Some are kind of sketching in a pad. Some are writing music. It's a whole variety. So I walk up to one of the ones uh, doing the poetry. Okay. Hmm. Well, that that's a very interesting work there. May I ask what you're writing for? Uh, you see a young dwarven woman with like uh, dark hair and these um, two braids, and she kind of looks up and she says, "Well, this is my uh, <laughs> this is this is supposed to be my master thesis." Oh, your master's thesis. What what year are you? Ah, uh, <laughs> well, I'm in I'm in my final year, of course. Are you not as well? Oh, I'm a professor. I'm a visiting professor here. Uh, may I ask him? Uh, uh, make a deception check. I am a professor, though. <laughs> uh, 
Yeah, but a, a new professor here, you know. Okay. I'll, I'll let you have advantage if you uh, want. Uh, 28? Yeah, okay. She she believes you. Ah, <laughs> uh, ah, well. So are you writing in the original Dwarven, I see? Uh, she she looks down and she's like, uh, I'm, yes, I'm, I'm trying to... I'm trying to put in some 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 of the more ancient dwarven as well, but it's not it's just not flowing the same. She kind of like scratches some stuff out. I know. I note where. Oh, oh, I think here you have one of the runes wrong, darling. It would be it would be with the flourish on the bottom, not on the top. Uh, thank you. Ah, well, very good, Professor. Very good. Zanhorn, Professor Zanhorn. Uh, Professor Zanhorn. Oh, uh, where um, may I find the teacher's lounge? I'm still new. Ah. Uh, well, I I don't know about the teachers' lounge, but they're all of well, the. Well, maybe the headmaster's office then. Oh, um, you get. She seems to get this like kind of excited look, and she's like, um, "Have you, like, have you met Felitaire yet?" Oh, oh, I know him by reputation, of course. I have not met the gentleman. Like I said, I am quite new here. Well, uh, he might be in the middle of um, performances at the moment because everyone is getting, you know, performing their final pieces. But uh, that should be just, you know, up the stairs and around the corner. She kind of directs you to where it seems that there is this kind of like performance hall. Excellent. Thank you, my darling. Good luck. Uh, Thank you. Um, Welcome to the school. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, thank you. Thank you. It'll be a pleasure being here. Yes. Um, She kind of smiles at you and then goes back to scribbling. I drain a little bit of the spit from the trombone <laughs> and, and say... It splatters onto the nice shiny floor. Yes, indeed. But um, it looks like there's other spit also on the floor. Excellent, excellent, yes. I, I assume this is not the only spit of the floor. Um, maybe we can put eyeballs on this performance space and then find our friend's office where perhaps he keeps his valuables. That's what I was thinking. Though, when you say valuables... Not quite sure we have the same definition, but let's go to the performance space. Lead the way. The whole time Jardot was just sitting there painting. (laughs) (laughs) Very cool. Beautiful scene I need to capture. Uh, I would love for you all to make intelligence checks as well, please. (laughs) That would have been already? That would have been a ten, but is in fact already on thirteen. A two. Okay. Um, <laughs> give me a second. It is. It's a ten plus. Oh, I think I have. It's, it's a few. It's a few. Sorry plus, about that. No worries. Uh, ten plus three. Ten plus three. There okay. you go. Thank you. So you all kind of while you're while you're going through the space and you're wandering around these people, um, it seems you know you're comfortable in most crowd situations, so it's not a big deal. But it seems to be like, it seems like something, um, it feels off about this space. It doesn't really seem like it's in the same, like, is it, is it not in the same time zone? Is it really like, there's something about this that seems kind of magically induced. Hmm. Something about this, like this frantic pace, the fact that, um, people aren't really totally looking at you unless you interact with them. Uh, I'm actually well versed in the arcane arts. Can I, can I roll? Can I check here? Uh, may, roll an arcana check. Sure. Yeah. Anyone? May I as yeah. Well? Sure. Go ahead, Professor Zanhorn. Thirteen. Thirteen. Thirteen plus nine. Okay. Plus um, nine. Plus nine. <laughs> plus nine. <laughs> Whoa. Okay. So that's a that's a twenty-two. Okay. Uh, Yardo, you know, you get the sense that this is um. This seems to be some really heavy... You haven't ever really seen it before, but it feels familiar as, like, an illusion magic. It feels like, you know, this is all... Like, it's it's really tangible. Like, you see it, it's incredible, but at the same time, it feels like this is some sort of uh, illusory representation of something that may have happened in the past. This whole place smells of lies. Hmm. Oh, damn. Could uh, this be... Professor Firefly's uh, little song and dance to make himself feel like he's still a professor? Is that maybe what's happening here? Once a professor, 
always a professor. Indeed. We <laughs> keep hoping that something will change, but you know. Um... <laughs> uh, all right, you guys keep walking. You go around. You go check out this auditorium. And um, to those who are, no- to, uh, are noting, um, you'll see that over the doors, in uh, over the doors, over the uh, um, auditorium, are the words, again, in all languages, uh, to experience is to understand. A big doorway. Big doorway. <laughs> um, do you go in? I want to understand and experience. I think we have to. Is this the door I've already the entered. Woman. <laughs> All right. Your, your door barges on in. Uh, you open the oh, door. I, 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 uh, uh, it keeps doing that. <laughs> <sighs> um, and you, so you open these doors. And um, when you had went, gone to open them, like you would thought that you heard this, like, beautiful like violin music coming out of it from someone performing but when you open the doors it's silent and um well it's silent (laughs) and um as you uh enter this space it looks um it, it looks old again but like still feels like it's an illusion but you see like there are these chairs there and then up at the front there is this kind of a stage that is kind of like on a flat surface. There's no like backstage or anything, but it is kind of raised. And on this kind of flat stone circular uh, stage are these pedestals. And um, as you approach them, you see that each pedestal has uh, some sort of instrument on it. While you're looking at it, you see a harp, a quill, a lute, a flute, a violin, a set of hand drums, and um, a sculptor's knife. Mm. Mm. Well, I, I could use my... soprano trombone? But... <laughs> <laughs> Not everyone can be interesting. So I could, of course, <laughs> use my mage hand, try and pick one up, see if it gets attacked or something. Any would, other ideas? I would love to identify one of those pillars before we do anything to them. Hmm. Hmm. Uh, so you're going to take a look at the pillar? I believe so, yes. I would Make like... an, an investigation check. What are you looking for exactly? Uh, to see if there's any cha- traps involved with it or if there's some kind of magic attached to it. Okay, go ahead. Ten. Ten? Um, they look like they're just pedestals set there. They're very pretty, um, ornately carved, um, old with these like kind of like curvy designs. Um, but they look like they're just fancy pedestals for a fancy instrument. <laughs> Gentlemen, I suggest we each pick a pedestal. Hmm. Well, we certainly could do it that way, I guess. Sure. I, uh, the violin looks quite nice. Hmm. I will take the harp. Okay. So you all go to reach for this. So as you go to reach for one of the instruments, each of you, um, Yardo, you reach for the harp. And as you do so, it begins to, it plays this kind of chord note by itself. And it plays this note and it's kind of discordant. And uh, as you do so, they kind of there's this weird like glowing projection that kind of flows out of the harp and takes the shape. Um, but as you're looking at the shape, you're like, oh no, uh, because it turns into a large wolf that is now uh, growling at you. Um, so that's that's happening, Brutus. Which instrument did you pick? I was going to go for the sculptor's knife, actually. Okay, uh, you went for the sculptor's knife, and uh, as you went for it, it kind of swished a little bit in the air, um, and it you didn't see, there's nothing like there, but you hear the sounding like metal scratching on stone, and as it happens, and as that happens, uh, again, the same projector comes out and it turns into this um, suit of armor standing there with its fists. Mm. Um, this doesn't look promising. Professor Zanhorn? I guess the only one left is the flute, yes? Uh, which one did you pick? There's uh, there's also, there's um, 
I, I can't remember what you uh, picked, Billy. I, um, I think there was a, a violin or a violin. There's a violin, yeah, a, a violin. flute, uh, hand drums, a lute. Oh, he'll go for the lute for sure. Yeah. Okay. So you, he goes up to the lute and you go uses his mage hand to pick it up. You use mage hand to pick it up. Um, as the magic gets close to it, it dissipates. Ooh. Hmm. Well, I suppose there's only one way to find out. He walks up, picks it up, and well, um, strums it once. As you reach to strum it, it strums itself, and a a a, a medium sized snake coils outside of it and uh, lights on fire. Oh! <laughs> and, um, Billy, what did you choose? Uh, the violin. The violin. Um, as you go up towards it, it plays this kind of screeching sound and um, this kind of uh, thin. Like looking beastly, like female with wings comes out, and it's a harpy, uh, which is now like flying around you. Uh, so, with a little time that we have left, we're gonna roll for initiative. Excellent. Uh, this uh, one day I'll get the timing right on this. <laughs> Fifteen. Fifteen as well. Okay. Twelve. Twenty-two. Okay, Ooh. hold on here. First, um, Brutus and Yardo. Which one of you wants to go first? Between the two of you, since you got the same, right? I'll go. Okay. He's the headstrong one. <laughs> it doesn't take me very far. <laughs> and then let me roll. Oh, God. That rolled into the bag, so that did not count. Okay. Um, that's also, that's a base 15. So they will go in between you. Okay. Billy, you're up first. Okay. You have this harpy flying at you. Yes. The, the, the harpy um, is uh, seems like a, just a, a terrible weakling of a harpy to me. Um, and I'm going to do everything I can to make this work. Um, because I am going to give a few blasts. Of my soprano trombone, my soprano okay. trombone, um, and uh, amazing. And I'm gonna tell the harpy just just what I think of it, and um, I'm going to massively overcast uh, vicious mockery as I tell this harpy its wings are in the wrong place. All right, <laughs> that's um, that's a save on my part. That's a right? wisdom save of fifteen. Okay, uh, wisdom save. Uh, she rolled a 12, so that's a fail. Okay. Roll that damage. Okay, so I'm going to cast this up to uh, third level. So I'm going to, this is going to be 3d4 damage. That's three, five, seven damage. Seven damage. It's not happy. Um, Yardo, your turn. You have um, a dire wolf growling at you. It seems like these things are they are they actually illusions or are they? Um, they seem they like seem very real. <laughs> <laughs> All right, um, and it's it seems pretty uh, uh, uh vicious and and trying to attack me, right? Ye- yeah, it's growling at you. Um, hmm. I'm going to. Can I use a minor illusion myself? Uh, yeah. I'm going to cast minor illusion. Okay. To try and hmm, to try and uh create the alpha wolf. The alpha. Oh. Wolf. <laughs> okay, interesting. Um, so uh, hmm, I would say that would be an animal handling check with advantage. Ooh, that's tough. All right. <laughs> One sec. Well, I got a 10 for now. Hold okay. <clears throat> yeah, but I'm going to add it to the, the higher one. Okay, that's a that's a 10 plus 3. 10 plus 3? Um, okay. Uh, I'm going to roll intelligence with this guy. Uh, so his intelligence is a minus 4, so he rolled, so it ended up being a 6. <laughs> awesome. So you do that, and the dire wolf, um, you create this like massive wolf uh, in the in the space around you, and the dire wolf um, gets very 
like he's like shying away. He's still growling, but it looks like he's not willing to like really step around or in front of this, uh, you know, higher wolf, <laughs> this alpha wolf. <laughs> uh, so yeah, so that's happening. Um, next up is uh, the monster's turn. So uh, the dire wolf who is kind of have a, having trouble like kind of getting to you a little bit is going to like kind of shuffle around a little bit snarling and um, is going to make another intelligence check because I'm just going to mm-hmm. call it that. Uh, what did you roll again? 13. Uh, 13. 13. Yeah, that's a 12. So he's still unsure what to do there. Um, the fire snake is going to go in for an attack on Professor Sandhorn. Uh, I need to make a bite. That's <laughs> shit. I'm rolling like shit today. That's a base five. So that's an eight. Ooh, uh, that misses. All right. Harpy's going to go for an attack on Billy. God, another five. Yeah. Uh, I think I'm doing all right. Yeah, that's another eight. And then the animated armor is uh, going to go after you, Brutus. Um, that's going to be a 15 to hit. Uh, hit. That's a hit? Okay. That is 1d6 plus 2. That's 5 points of bludgeoning damage to you. Um, so that's their turn. They're all just go- trying to attack you. Brutus? Alright, so I'd like to grab my drum and i like to start beating out a nice bass out of it. Okay. And while that's going, um, I'd like to cast this spell magic on the suit of armor because I'm guessing... It has to be magic that's keeping it up together. Mm-hmm. And I'd like to beat my drum so hard while that's being cast that it starts shaking the the armor apart. Wow. Okay. Nice. That's awesome. We're going I like going it. Hard I like that flavor. <laughs> okay. Um. <sighs> it's a one. So <laughs> oh, that's twice now. So is dispel magic something that you need to aim? Yes. Yeah. All right, so uh, it ripples into the the wrong direction and just kind of like shakes your teeth a little bit from the drums. Like you're just kind of like, yeah, 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 yeah. I deserve that. <laughs> <laughs> oh, um, we only have thirty seconds left, so we're going to say that you guys successfully uh, beat these. Get your magical instruments. Yay! Yay. Yay. So sorry to have to cut this off so Victory soon. Victory by default. Yes, indeed. Win by default. Thank you guys so much for being here and playing with us. Uh, Rytopia Lab, everybody. Uh, this was a ton of fun. Definitely. Um, Thank you so much for having us. Yeah. Thank you. And, it was uh, great. But make sure to tune in at Gameplay Radio again next time. Um, yeah. 